This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Cat lovers and feline friends, it's time for Adele Park's Quirky Catnips. Today on the Quirky Catnips podcast, we're airing a chapter of Quirky Cat Gets Ghosted, which we will do until the entire audiobook has been broadcasted. We invite all you kitties to kick back now, relax, and enjoy Quirky Cat Gets Ghosted by Adele Park. Audio Recording St. George presents Quirky Cat Gets Ghosted. Written, produced, and edited by Adele Park. Narrated by a full cast. A directive from Gertrude Fletcher, head of the Naval Utah Department of Motor Vehicles. Part 2. Dying and the Department of Motor Vehicles are a lot alike. Most people deplore both things. Regardless, they serve a critical function, without which there would be utter chaos. Next time you're in line at the DMV furiously texting your friends to complain about the long wait, imagine, for a moment, if we had no regulations when it came to driving. Do you really want to share the road with people who haven't had to demonstrate even a modicum of driving skills? As for the long wait, that's on you. If you want speedy service, make a reservation. We have the technology. Dying, by contrast, is generally unpleasant and often unplanned for. Unlike the DMV, you can't schedule an appointment. Let's just say everyone has a standing invitation. Blue McKenna wasn't accepting hers very gracefully. She had a point, one I have a unique perspective on. Fairness isn't the issue. Timing is. Blue's timing fell into the ill-fated category. To be clear, I wasn't the one who interrupted Blue's walk to the bright light. Yes, this is a real thing. What a lot of people don't realize is the portal to the next existence isn't like a highway one can use at their own discretion. There are protocols to be followed. When Blue stepped out of line, presumably to check on the welfare of her unborn child, the portal closed. Blue's untimely death isn't sitting well with the living. These things rarely do. For those left behind, anger is often the most dominant stage of grief. It's the easiest to get one's head around, and it feels better than sorrow. Generally, these things are none of my concern. Blue was an exception. Her case was going to require assistance from the living. I wouldn't lay odds on Blue's stepson, Brandon Spinkle, uncovering the great mysteries surrounding the death process. That said, he has a particular interest in what happened to Blue, and, more importantly, why it is that she died on the bridge in front of Juniper Hollow. Brandon has been granted the privilege of a driver's license. His record may be clean with the Department of Motor Vehicles, but this young man is capable of causing a lot of trouble. 
Next. In case you haven't noticed, you've been ghosted. Chapter two. Brandon Spinkle. I fucking hate Blue McKenna. She's like the grand poopah of posers. You know, the kind who leads you on, tossing out handfuls of sparkly bullshit about living happily ever after. Those were her exact words, happily ever after. Blue cranked out this line until everyone believed it, especially my dad. And me. Before Blue started slopping on all this happily crappily goo, we were doing just fine as America's most dysfunctional family. My mom led the way by trying to get featured in one of those smut bucket magazines. She went full Mary Kay Letourneau with a senior from my high school in Connecticut. I'll bet if you googled famous female pedophiles, mom's picture would pop up right next to Mary Kay's. After a bunch of skanky pics of mom circulated around my school, dad pulled a witness protection move by shuffling us off to my grandparents' house in Las Vegas. Mom apparently hadn't embarrassed us enough, because after that, she threatened to publish a book about how dad is the undercover lead singer for the rectal surgeons. Incredibly, me and my little sister didn't even know dad's work tinkering in the big brown winker as a gastrointestinal specialist was just a side hustle. I don't get how he can stand dealing with so many assholes. Even with the boiling guts spewed all over the side of the road and my barely alive, bloody little brother, we were still better off before Blue came along. At least then, our family had no hope, and no hope of ever getting any hope. It cuts way down on the disappointment. Then Blue jumped in to help Dad manage the tabloid shitstorm my mom was stirring up. Things changed. He got happy. Real happy. We all did. After Blue married Dad, she didn't just take over the closets in our house. She filled it with something we'd never heard before. Laughter. I'd walk past Dad's bedroom at night and hear them giggling like a couple of escapees from the loony bin. No, it wasn't them doing the deed. I don't know what Dad's got in his junk drawer, and I don't want to. What I can say for sure is there's no way anyone could last as long as that laughing. I never heard my dad even chuckle around my mom. Blue didn't talk down to me. Compare that to my mom, who never talks to me. Mom only talks at me. Blue didn't think it was stupid that I wanted to be a journalist. Looking back, I'm not sure if I wanted to be a writer because of her, or if it just happened around the same time. I was flunking out of a class and had to write a ridiculously long paper last summer. Blue made it a cool assignment, telling me to write about something I'm intrigued with. For me, that means murder with a side order of ghosts. Do you think that things that go bump in the night are more than just the house settling? I never thought I'd be the sort of guy who did. But then, I never thought I'd be a drug dealer. 
or the unbiological son of an undercover rock star, or the caretaker for a cat who acts like a dog and insists on jumping in the car every time someone heads out. I got interested in murder last summer. Like I said, I had to write this crummy paper for school, or else take an F in American studies. I would have been okay with the F, but Dad is way too strict for that. Me and my best friend Taj got to spend three months at Gecko's Gulch, this ritzy mansion in the desert outside of Naval, Utah. Blue's twin sister, Moon, owns the place along with her flamingly gay husband, Randall. Not saying there's anything wrong with being gay, it's just not for me. But then, neither are Brussels sprouts. Being gay and eating Brussels sprouts are pretty much the same thing in my mind. Randall and Moon had been gone most of the summer, so it was just me, Taj, and Blue living at Gecko's Gulch. Dad was doing the Love and Life on Uranus tour with his band, the Rectal Surgeons. It's so cray-cray about my dad. For the first 15 years of my life, I thought all Dad did was deep-dive into people's peep holes. Don't ask me how someone gets into this line of work. In between rectal fests, Dad worked at his old clinic in Hartford, Connecticut. That's where he got tangled up with Drew Compton, the guy who was actually my real dad. It's a craptacular story. But I got a brand new Jeep out of the deal, so it worked out okay for me. Dad, a.k.a. Scotty Sphincter, went way the hell out of his way to keep Drew from joining my mom on this stupid reality show called Celebrity Cougars. Thank God that steaming pile of cow crap never made it on the air. I was laying low at Gecko's Gulch while all this was happening, hoping the people at my school in Las Vegas wouldn't catch a whiff of this shitscapade. Me and Taj spent a lot of time exploring the area around Gecko's Gulch last summer. We were staying there while they remodeled Legacy Grove, the house Blue owned before she met Dad. He bought it back for her last year, and the sawdust has been flying ever since. Legacy Grove is an old pioneer relic, made of stone and built to last. There is also an old stone packing shed which Dad turned into his own personal man cave. I thought that was a little unfair, especially since he built a mega studio in our backyard in Las Vegas instead of putting in a pool. There's a pool at Taj's house, which is kind of why we started hanging out to begin with. Legacy Grove is about four miles outside of Naval if you're heading towards normal civilization. Gecko's Gulch is ten miles west of town, halfway between Naval and this dumpy polygamous place called Zion Flats. Both towns are crammed between rolling red rock hills. It's hard to tell where you are half the time. There's lots of cool stuff out there, the raddest being an oasis about a mile from Gecko's Gulch. This oasis is the real deal, not just a few puny palm trees hanging on for dear life around a muddy puddle of water. If you ask anyone in Naval, they'll tell you the oasis is haunted. The polygamists from Zion Flats used it as their desert gulag 
before the cops and naval figured out that's where they were burying rejects who got voted off the island. I don't know if there are ghosts in the Oasis, but it's creepy as hell. The Jump for Jesus squad in Naval would rather mainline asbestos than hang out in the Oasis, which makes it the perfect place to grow weed. To lay blame where it belongs, Blue was the one who made sure the grass was greener on the other side of the Oasis. Taj and me just happened to pick up where Blue left off when she married Dad and committed ganja genocide. We found the plants that survived. Taj and I both had part-time jobs last summer, which gave us plenty of time to do things that would have grounded us for the rest of our lives if we had gotten caught. I stole Blue's SUV one night to drop off what I thought were some really awesome purple flowers to a girl I liked. I didn't find out until later they were belladonna, a highly hallucinogenic and poisonous plant. No one died, and I brought the SUV back in perfect condition, so I deserved to dodge that bullet. If Blue had been driving her SUV instead of that old pickup the morning after her baby shower, she might still be alive. Other than Grand Theft Auto and the near poisoning, we mostly did stuff like swiping alcohol from the liquor cabinet at Gecko's Gulch and blowing a few joints of Oasis weed. Taj did most of the smoking. I hate the stuff. It makes me feel like I've had electroshock therapy or something. I prefer screwdrivers, rum and cokes, or whatever libation I can get my mitts on. Thankfully, I never have to worry about Taj bogarting my booze since he gets buzzed on half a beer. Over the summer, Taj became Agent Orange Man. That's what Blue called the pot she used to grow in the Oasis. No teenager in their right mind would pass this up, especially if they needed money, which Taj and I definitely did. I literally wrote the book on drug dealing during a red-eye flight from New York to Las Vegas. We were flying home after the rectal surgeon's big Memorial Day splashdown. It was the mother of all rectal fests, with perfect weather until the second we were supposed to go home. As we were trying to leave New York, a tropical storm they were calling Alberto started hammering Florida. It was so intense it grounded planes clear up the coast, even as far as JFK. Stephen Finch, part of the entourage for the rectal surgeons, was stuck at the airport with us. Because we were there on official band business, we all got to hang out in the VIP lounge. Our flight was delayed by more than four hours because of Alberto. My dad and Taj's dad were at the bar, swilling beers and watching baseball. Taj was FaceTiming with his girlfriend, Danica. The only other person around to talk to was Steven. We had come home from Naval a few days before Rectal Fest so we could sign up for classes at North Platte. That's the name of our high school in Vegas. Me and Taj were both starting 10th grade, but I'm a year older, which means I can drive. I signed up for the easiest classes I could find, with the exception of the North Platte Gazette, our school newspaper. I worked a sweetheart deal with the editor, 
whereby I got to work at the Gazette during my last period of class and score three credits. Blue sort of conned me into this, talking Dad into giving me a bigger allowance since I wouldn't be able to get an after-school job. Like Dad would let me do that during the school year anyway. Stephen was getting a connecting flight to Colorado after we landed in Las Vegas. I chewed up the clock in the airport working on my interviewing skills. Drinks are free in the VIP lounge, so Stephen was pretty sloshed. I knew it wouldn't be hard to get him to open up. Every rock band has a drug dealer. With the rectal surgeons, that person is Stephen Finch. Dad, also known as Scotty Sphincter, Slick Von Slop, and Gaseous Iglesias, are all doctors who don't use any drugs at all. At least, as far as I know. Drinking is another thing. These rump rangers could bankrupt a cash bar. Anyway, Stephen's job is to keep the roadies loaded up with weed and magic mushrooms so they don't waste time trying to score it on their own. Stephen must be good at what he does because he's been on all four tours with the rectal surgeons. After ordering a strawberry daiquiri, which the waitress served minus the rum, I asked Stephen about his job history. Just like I thought, Stephen has been selling Kush since he was a teenager. He had some funny stories about his early days in the business. I fired off a bunch of questions about how he was able to dodge the cops. There were a lot of years when Stephen was slipping around trying to keep his skinny ass out of jail. Now, he sells weed legally at a pot shop in Boulder called Agent Orange. Before Blue got hitched to Dad, she owned half the business. Now that Stephen has all the marbles, he can't help bragging about how he rakes in money hand over fist. Stephen doesn't even need the job with the rectal surgeons. He just tags along to score chicks. It's a great gig if you can get it. My VIP lounge talk with Stephen was very instructive. When our plane finally took off, I was too amped to sleep. I got out the notebook Taj and I used to write down the pranks we like to pull, affectionately known as missions, since most of them happen in Utah. The goal of my drug manifesto was to earn enough money to pay for all our girlfriends, but not get caught by the police, or worse, our dads. This meant we couldn't get greedy. We'd have to keep our harvest small, which really wasn't a choice anyway since Blue annihilated all but a few plants from the oasis. Taj and I picked the surviving buds. There wasn't even enough to fill a coffee can, which was depressing. Before we left, Taj planted some seeds in a spongy spot near a group of leafy bushes hoping the foliage would camouflage whatever came up. I just about shit my shorts when we went back to check on our plants a few weeks later. It was the freaking little shop of horrors. I'm not exaggerating when I say these mothers were taller than the bushes we'd planted them under. Taj and I picked buds until our hands were so sticky with resin we couldn't pull our fingers apart. I got a brain boner thinking about the mint we were about to make. That's when Taj harshed my mellow by saying 
if we acted like pigs and turned the oasis into Zuckerman's farm, we'd get caught for sure. Either Blue or some nitwit from Naval would find out. We'd have to keep our harvest small and sell to just the right clients if we wanted to keep our butts out of the slammer. On the distribution end of things, Stephen Finch passed on some good advice without even knowing it. When Stephen was my age, he used a pop-up tent as his personal weed emporium so he wouldn't get busted at school. Point taken, dude. Everyone knows who the dealers are at North Platte High. They usually don't last long because someone narks them off and they get booted from campus for life. Figuring out how to get Agent Orange to our customers wasn't much of a challenge either. I spent the whole summer in Naval working in the distribution business. While Taj was making petty fours at A Taste of Heaven Bakery, I was running a lunch delivery service that paid me three times as much. I could do the same thing with weed. Not in Naval, obviously. Everyone who lives there is Mormon, which means they don't drink or smoke. Las Vegas was a whole different deal. My distribution plan was to show up at the client's house with a pizza box. No one would think a thing about me running up to the door, handing over a box, and pocketing some cash. Also working in my favor, I look more like a pizza guy than a stoner, which I'm not anyway. Stephen Finch, on the other hand, looks exactly like the dealer McDope that he is. It's a wonder Stephen never got fingered by the cops. Just to make sure Dad never catches on, I plan to buy prepaid phone cards and use them with my old cell phone. That way, if Dad ever snoops on my new cell, I won't get caught. Thanks to Dad putting Blue in a family way and then bragging about it on YouTube, we went to Naval a lot during the fall of 2008. The paparazzi was back to bugging my family, eager to get a picture of a pregnant Mrs. Scotty Sphincter. Because of this, Blue decided to have her baby at the Naval Base Hospital. This meant we were going to Utah a couple of weekends every month. Taj was hot and heavy with Danica, a lifeguard he met at the Naval City Pool last summer. I was stringing along a number of hotties, happy to not be tied down like Taj. It was one of those autumns that was just golden in every way. Dad and Blue were falling all over each other about the baby, my sister Lexi got to hang out with Blue's twin nieces at Gecko's Gulch, and Taj and I learned how to grow killer weed. When we weren't tending to our plants in the oasis, we soaked up the sun, cruising around on the ATVs Dad keeps at Legacy Grove. We grilled out a lot, eating most of our dinners at the picnic table near the orchard. Blue and her twin, Moon, were born on Halloween, so there's always a big celebration in Utah. This year, Blue wanted to have the party at Legacy Grove instead of Gecko's Gulch, since the renovations were finally finished. Blue decorates for Halloween like Martha Stewart colliding with Tim Burton. Dad knows how to put together killer costumes. It was a spooktacular combo. During the week when we were in Vegas, 
We'd go out for dinner after Dad got off work. We'd load up on burgers or Asian food before hitting the Halloween stores. Dad wanted to make sure I wouldn't wrap my Jeep around a light pole, so he'd follow behind Taj and me in Blue's SUV. Lots of times, we needed both rigs to take home all the stuff we bought. Dad has this thing about making our family do a group costume. It's dorky for sure, but we've done it ever since I was born. This year, we decided to go as characters from the game Clue. I had to flip Dad for Colonel Mustard. I won, and he got stuck being Professor Plum. My sister Lexi was actually pretty funny as Miss Peacock. Lexi was so stoked about her rhinestone cat-eye glasses that she started wearing them for real. The lenses were glass, so they didn't give Lexi a headache or anything, but it embarrassed the hell out of me. I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but Blue looked totally hot in her Miss Scarlet costume. I almost got into a fist fight when Kiefer Nichols, a guy we know in Naval, called her a MILF. Kiefer's such a churchy goober snatch. He calls MILFs mothers I'd like to finger, which is even more disgusting than mothers I'd like to fuck. Blue wasn't really showing much, but everyone in Naval knew she was preggers. Who calls a pregnant woman a MILF anyway? Apparently, the son of her ex-boyfriend, Kip Nichols. What a douche. Halloween was on a Wednesday, so we started celebrating the weekend before. The stone-packing shed at Legacy Grove was so tricked out, Moon's twins begged to use it for their school party. We did a thing during the afternoon for their friends from Naval. It was pretty fun, considering all the attendees were ankle biters. One of the games involved donuts tied to the ceiling with string. Everyone had to eat one using just their mouth. The main chow was wood-fired pizzas and barbecued chicken. Dad loves to cook as long as he can do it outside. As part of the remodel, he installed a full outdoor kitchen next to the shed, including a brick oven for pizza. On the morning of the Halloween party, Taj went to a Taste of Heaven bakery to make a pumpkin spice cake for Blue and Moon's birthday. Since Taj worked there last summer, they let him use their kitchen. I don't make fun of Taj for being the little prince of pastries. He cooks better than anyone I know, including my grandma and my dad. Our families wind up eating together all the time. Taj does most of the cooking, unless we barbecue. After the kids' Halloween party, the adults wanted to get sauced. Dad paid me and Taj $50 each to take Lexi and the twins to the corn maze at Stratton Farms. It was so huge, we got lost for real. We had to log on to the cheat sheet posted on the website just to find our way out. Blue wasn't drinking on account of Rudy. That's the name she started calling my little brother, even though she didn't know for sure he was a boy. It started out as a joke. She'd call him Rude Boy every time he kicked her in the stomach, which was a lot. After a while, she shortened it to Rudy. Dad looked like he wasn't feeling any pain when we got back from the corn maze. 
That's why I was surprised to find him wandering around in the stone packing shed the next morning. I had gotten up early to snag any half-empty bottles of booze that may have been left behind. Dad was sitting on the ginormous sectional sofa in the bar area, dropping big, crocodile tears. What's wrong, Dad? I asked, suddenly panicked. Is something happening with the baby? No, nothing was wrong with Rudy. At least not then. Dad was just sad that Halloween was over. I'm usually not sappy, but on this occasion, I gave Dad a big hug and said, There's always Thanksgiving. Hard to believe, but November was even more fun than October. Blue was restless because of the baby. We'd sit up talking and eating ice cream while everyone else was asleep. She'd go over my stories for the North Platte Gazette. It didn't take long for me to form this insane superstition that whatever I wrote was kernel-laden crap unless she'd read it first. I almost quit the Gazette when she died. The only reason I didn't was because the summer internship I had lined up at the Naval Weekly Banner was based on me already writing for the Gazette. I was going to be the youngest intern they ever had at the Banner. I was kind of proud of that. We had Thanksgiving dinner at Legacy Grove, which kicked off the best four days our family ever had. While everyone else in the world was knocking themselves over at Black Friday sales just so they could save 35 cents on a Nintendo, we were on a scavenger hunt. Before Blue, our family used to spend our vacations at fancy resorts. I had more fun following clues and collecting plastic gold coins in the desert than all the days we spent in Hawaii and Disneyland put together. The next day, Saturday, we went on our annual Hog Wild ATV ride. Just like last year, a bunch of Dad's friends from Las Vegas showed up. We kicked up so much dust, you could probably see it in Naval. After the ride, we all went to Gecko's Gulch for chili and cornbread. Now that Blue's dead, I guess we won't be doing that anymore. Just another reason I hate Blue McKenna. I have to wonder then, why I feel so damn sad. Can't wait to hear the rest of Quirky Cat Gets Ghosted by Adele Park? Get ghosted today on Audible, Spotify, and Barnes & Noble. Meow, bitches. I really don't like audiobooks, but this one kicks ass. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Looking to record your own quirky audiobook? Audio Recording St. George is a boutique studio specializing in audiobook creation and commercial voiceovers. Stop dreaming and start recording at Audio Recording St. George. Book your session today at www.audiorecordingstgeorge.com.